Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review what's been going on in training camp so far. We're going to go over some Bengals headlines and transactions, and Justin Lacey's going to stop by with his take on training camp and the Bengals team as it heads into the preseason. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Joe Burrow is back on the field. I don't care if he's riding a cart or what, Joe Burrow is back. The pads have come on, and we're about a week away from Bengals football. And we're going to have a Bengals football game from now through the postseason, except for that bye week. It's here. All right, so let's quickly go over some headlines. First off, they handed out the AFC Championship rings, and they were really nice rings. They had the player's name, number. They had three stones, which represented all three of our AFC Championships, which was really nice. Nice gesture for the team, a nice valuable ring, and a nice piece for everyone's collection. But in total honesty, it's a little bit of a waste of money because no one wants them. And and I hate to say it, no one's ungrateful. Of course, it's a nice piece of jewelry. It's going to go on their trophy cases. But it's a reminder that you came in second. No one likes, at least no one on the NFL level that, that's that much of a competitor and that much of a winner throughout their whole athletic careers. None of those guys want participation trophies or second-place trophies or runner-up trophies. And this ring, unfortunately, represents that. So excellent gesture by the team. Very much appreciated. But, you know, you probably could have saved the money and not done it and wait for the real ring to come because we know that's coming within a year or two tops. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Joe Burrow is back on the field, and you saw the footage of him riding the car and he's all straight-faced and serious. And, you know, it's not a funny situation, obviously. You know how broken up I was when I found out about the surgery. But the footage of him just kind of riding the car across the field with no emotion is a little bit humorous. But regardless, he's back at practice. He's He gets off the car and has the headset on and is watching all the plays, talking to the guys, and really just interacting as if he was practicing with them except he's not actually out there throwing the ball. There's no timetable for his return, and that's to be expected. You don't know how your internal body heals and how your organs heal after a surgery like that. You know, typically it could be a week, two weeks, could be up to four weeks. I imagine he'll be back on the field within about seven to ten days of this broadcast. And other news, I thought this was an interesting story. Joe Mixon actually talked to Coach Taylor about the Super Bowl and the infamous third and one and fourth and one where P. Ryan was on the field and Mixon was on the sideline. And Mixon, you could tell, obviously, he wanted to be out there. He was a little bit heated, but he also understood the moment. You know, it was a hurry-up situation. They had the third down package out there. It's the biggest game of everyone's out there's lives. And, you know, there wasn't time to, to reflect and sit back and possibly make the right decision. It was just like all systems go on that last drive. Not a lot of time on the clock. And it just happened to be that Piran was in there, and there wasn't, I guess there wasn't an, an, a great opportunity to substitute him out. But point taken by Coach Taylor, 
point given by Joe Mixon, and I think the next time we're in a situation like that, you're going to see Joe Mixon in there on the crucial third and ones and fourth and ones, not just in the Super Bowl. I don't care. It could be you know a week four game where it's getting late and we're looking for the win. I think it's. I think the point has been made that Joe Mixon needs to be in there at the crucial, important times, no matter what package is technically designated to be in the game. And then let's go over some of the players that are limited in training camp right now. And these are guys that we're going to be relying on heavily when the season starts, and they're kind of easing them back in. There's no reason to get these guys all broken up in the beginning of August. You know, you got some heavy-duty games coming right away in September, and you want to make sure all these guys make it to the gate. And there's a few guys that are on this list, but there's four in particular that I wanted to note. You have T. Higgins coming off the labrum surgery, so they're not rushing him along. They want him to get to week one in one piece. I totally agree with that. Logan Wilson, same thing. I, you know, he, he was having a shoulder issue, and I think they're going to let him sit out until a week or two before the season, and that's okay. Let those guys heal and let those guys not be exposed to any further injuries in practice and training camp. You know, I'm convinced that Higgins and Wilson can get in there a week or two before the season and not lose too much. And plus, they're at the walkthroughs. They're at all the meetings. You know, mentally, they're up to speed on what's going on. It's just a matter of getting out there and getting some reps. But as you saw, even in, in the year where the preseason was taken away, you saw guys kind of came in pretty much ready to play. And I expect that out of both of these guys. And then you have Joseph Osai, who's another one coming off the wrist injury and the knee injury. And they were just easing him back in there, too. Again, it's another guy that you're going to be depending on heavily when the season starts. And it looks like with the pads coming back on at Tuesday's practice that he is back in there participating in team drills, not in full capacity, but getting a few snaps in there. So as the practices mount up during the next week or two, you're probably going to see him get more action, get more acclimated, and be in there more regularly. So that's good news. And then Alex Kappa, I guess he falls into the other category as well. You want to make sure that his core injury is healed, and he's he's definitely a crucial part to this season, and they're going to bring him along slowly. He's, he's participating more and more as time goes by, but still not a full participant. But again, he's a veteran. Let's just make sure he makes it to week one and beyond in good shape because you know we need some blocking for Joe Burrow. And speaking of blocking, Lyle Collins is out for most of training camp so far. And what he said was, He'll be back for the season, and he'll be back to practicing prior to week one. So another guy that we're going to really be leaning on and let him get as healthy as possible before the season starts. I found out it was a back strain, bad break for us. Hopefully it's not a foreshadowing of things to come. Let's just let him get healthy. He's another veteran that's not going to need that much time to get ramped up. So I'm looking forward to all these guys, Higgins, Wilson, Osai, Kappa, and Collins, being fully ready for week one. Two players that I wanted to note that are taking leadership roles are Von Bell, and he's taking that leadership role in the secondary with Jesse Bates not being around. You know, he's the veteran of the group. Uh, Mike Hilton's a veteran too, obviously, but it just seems like Von Bell's kind of taking the rookies under his wing, being a mentor for everyone, and, and just being a positive leader on that group, and that's valuable. You know, he's a player that's, that's proven that he's good. He had a big contract from us in free agency. And he had a great postseason and a great season for us. So he's one of the guys that you want to see your Dax Hills and your Cam Taylor Brits and, and really everyone in that secondary. You want to see them looking to someone like him as an example because his career has been an example of how to do it the right way. And offensive line, Ted Karras is the same way. 
He's one that's taking a leadership role on the offensive line and another one that's kind of done it the right way his whole career. And him being the center and making those line calls, it's just a natural transition for him to be the leader of that offensive line. And he was talking like he didn't want to step on Jonah Williams' toes because Jonah's been there longer, et cetera, et cetera. But I think he's just a natural leader. And even though he doesn't want to step on anybody's toes, his instincts are to take a leadership mentoring role to the other players and he's getting rave reviews so far. It seems like he's a monster addition to this offensive line. You know, we were all excited about Kappa and Collins, most of all. And, like, he was kind of, like, icing on the cake. But at this point in time, with the other two guys a little bit banged up, he seems to be a more substantial part of the cake right now. So I hope this continues. I hope he continues to stay healthy and be a leader and help that offensive line just be as good as it can possibly be because that's the key to us going back to the Super Bowl. And then when you talk about the offensive line, Coach Pollock was talking about rotating guys in, and he gave Jackson Carmen some compliments, that he, he came in much more prepared, much more mature, and he's doing much better on the field this year. And, you know, he has the, the movement skills and the strength that you want in an offensive lineman. It was just a matter of him trying to put it all together. And from what Coach Pollock is saying, Jackson Carmen is on the road to putting it together, and that would be monster. You know, if, if he can turn into a highly functional player as a left guard, it's almost like getting a first-round draft pick for us this year. And what he's doing on the other side, you know, you have Jonah Williams and Jackson Carmen and Karras if you're going to go left to right, and those three guys have been stable in there, and, you know, they're getting as many reps, I guess, between Carmen and Williams, getting that familiarity, getting Karras used to them. But the other side is a little bit of a mystery with Kappa and Collins out. So what Coach Pollock is doing, he's rotating guys in there and just figuring out who works the best, who works the best together, who his best options are, even when those guys come back, you know, who's the first guy off the bench kind of thing. And you're seeing Cordell Volson in there. You're seeing Isaiah Prince get another shot. And you're seeing Deontay Smith get a shot in there. So those are three of the guys. I know some, some of the other guys are getting reps as well, but those three in particular seem to have been rotating around as the starters on the right side of the offensive line while we're waiting for those free agent acquisitions to heal. And Eli Apple just keeps getting thrown to the wolves and put in tough situations. All camp long, he's been covering Jamar Chase, which is good for both of them. It's, it's really good for Apple to be covering one of the best wide receivers in the league. It's only going to make him better. And one quote that he had, which was really, really cool to see, actually, he said, I watch all of Chase's highlights. He's my favorite player, best receiver in the league. That's a nice compliment for your teammate and for a fellow peer and a guy that you're going head-to-head with every day. So, you know, props to Eli Apple. Iron sharpens iron. So, you know, whether he's getting beat by Chase or having his victories over Chase or a combination of the two, this is good for him and good for the team for him to be getting these kind of reps. So positive things on all fronts there. And speaking of Jamar Chase, he has been outstanding so far in training camp seemingly picking up where he left off and even growing some. So just expect a monster year out of him, and he's going to help lead us to the promised land as well, just like he did last year, and I think he's going to be a step better. Even though teams know him now and he's going to be getting even more attention, but he was still getting a lot of double coverage in the second half of last season, expect that more this year. You know, Expect teams to be specifically scheming against him, but as he gets better, he's going to neutralize that. All right, you guys want to put extra on me well I'm putting extra into my game so now we're right back where we were to 1400 yards and 10 plus touchdowns and a Super Bowl berth other players that have had great training camps so far 
Evan McPherson has been nearly perfect and just impressing and just picking up right where he left off. So that's another good sign. I mean, he's a person who won several games for us last year, won two playoff games at the buzzer to put us in the Super Bowl, and it looks like he's going to be doing what he did last year and possibly beyond. Awuzie, they're calling him the quiet assassin. He's having a great camp. And the MVP of training camp so far has been Hayden Hurst, and that is exciting news. You know, we knew we were getting an upgrade as a receiver over C.J. Uzama when he came aboard, but we didn't realize he was going to be the best player in camp so far. So it's looking like a guy who needed a second chance, still young enough to have that second chance and, and be productive. And if he stays healthy when Burrow's back, you're going to see a monster year out of him if everything goes like it's been going. It's just his speed, his separation, high-pointing balls. You know, we're going to get a lot more tape on him and be able to analyze his game even more once they start playing some games. But from what you're seeing in practice, this is a monster pickup as well. And Trey Hendrickson seems to have picked up where he left off as well. Even though he wasn't at OTAs, he came in like a storm and... Doesn't look like he missed a beat and looks like he's going to repeat what he did last year, which was an amazing success. And we've talked about it a few times on the show. It was a different defense when he was in there and when he wasn't in there. And right now he's back in there, so sky's the limit. Akeem Davis-Gaither is getting a lot of reps right now with Wilson out, and they're saying that he's playing well. So it's good that he's getting those reps because after sitting out most of last year with the injury, It's good that he's getting action, and it's also good to see him excelling. He put on a little bit of weight, so I'm predicting a good season out of him, and that's always exciting, too. You know, we're pretty much set with Pratt and Wilson. You know, you really need two starters, and then your role players need to step up when when needed, but it's become like a two-linebacker game. It's not the three, four-linebackers like it used to be in the old days. So, you know, you go too deep, and then you have someone like Gaither being the next guy in, That's a pretty good linebacking core. And then moving on to some transactions, Elijah Holyfield had a non-contact injury at the first practice. You hate to see it. You know, those non-contact injuries are usually pretty bad, and in this case, it looks like season-ending IR for him. You know, I wish him the best of luck. He was starting to get his career on track, and, you know, it's it's now going to have to wait another year. And as a result, they brought back old friend Jock Patrick, and He didn't really do much last year. I think he only had a carry or two for the 49ers. So it was nice to see him get cast on the street, not for his purposes, but for our purposes, because you know we love him in this building. And we always thought that, you know, he could be a bell cow if needed. And now we have him on the roster if needed, and and he's going to fight for a position on the practice squad, I assume, but maybe be one of those bell cows off the bench if if there's any kind of injury or, you know, lack of performance on, on the backups in front of him. And then when Joe Burrow went down with the appendicitis, they picked up a quarterback, Drew Plitt. And that's really just a training camp arm. You know, no offense to Drew, but they're probably just using him so the other two guys don't have too many reps. And there's very small opportunity for him to make the roster. But hey, you're on the field. You're practicing with the team. Take advantage of your opportunities, Drew, and let's see what happens. And as a result of signing Drew Plitt, they cut John Brannon, so he must have been the last DB on the depth chart, and he was the first to go when they needed reinforcements at another position. In former Bengal player news, Carlos Dunlap goes to the Chiefs, so you can see his career is still far from over, 
and we're going to have to deal with him this year in the regular season, possibly in the playoffs. So nice to see his career is continuing. I always liked him as a player. He's at that point in his career now where it's kind of hitting a one-year deal with a bunch of different teams. But, you know, he's only 33. He's got some gas left in the tank. Doesn't have a big injury history. So, you know, you could see him rolling around the league for a few years. So, you know, best of luck to him, except when he's playing the Cincinnati Bengals. And then some news about our divisional rivals. Deshaun Watson got a six-game suspension. And again, I'm not talking about off-the-field stuff. I just don't like to do that on the show. I like to make it about football. We all know what happened. We all have our opinions. We all know the conclusions. We all know how weird the situation was. So regardless of that, when Watson comes back, his first two games at Ravens, home against the Bengals, good luck. Good luck. And I really, I've been saying it all along, I cannot wait for Trey Hendrickson to get a piece of him. And when you look at the Browns' first six games, when he's out, it's not that tough of a schedule, unfortunately. You know, I was hoping they'd go 1-5, and 0-6 oh without him, but I don't know. There's a few wins in here for them. You know, you never know how the teams are going to play. You never know what team you think is going to be bad ends up being good. It's a big mystery, but on paper... I don't know. They're going to win some of these games. They have the Panthers, the Jets, the Steelers, the Falcons. I mean, you could see at least two wins there, probably three, maybe four. And then they have the Chargers and Patriots. So out of those six games, I can't see them losing more than three. And, you know, you could very well see the Browns at four and two after that. So they rolled the dice on Watson. He didn't get the suspension that we all thought he was going to get. And the games that he's going to miss are winnable. So the Browns are going to be someone to fight with for this division. It's not just going to be a rollover season. Because that was the big mystery. When we didn't know how long he was going to be out, we were almost saying, you know what, the Browns aren't going to win the division this year. Well, you know, when you look at this, they're definitely going to contend and give us a fight for it. So we'll see what happens. They had our number the last couple years. Hopefully the tide has turned there because we are the better team. Sometimes it's just matchups. I mean, I, I just felt that we've had a, a problem with Chubb and Miles Garrett, truthfully. I think those have been the two big issues. Hopefully we figured them out or our guys are just able to contain them. And hopefully we go 2-0 and against the Browns and we wave, wave to them as we're winning the division and they're fighting for a wild card. All right, so I've been keeping tab on the training camp practices and I just wrote a couple notes from each day and I'm just going to kind of run through them very quickly. So day one, first day of practice, that's when Holyfield got hurt. They said that Browning and Allen were passing very accurately, so that was good to see. And it was mentioned this week that Dax Hill is actually the only new piece in the starting lineup, that every other defender was there last year, and he's the only new guy. So it's that's rough when you have a defense that was pretty successful and you're the only new piece. I guess in a way it's easy because they're all, they have the chemistry and they're all ready to go. You just have to be able to do your part. But there's a lot of pressure on you, too. If you prove, if you're the 11th guy and you have holes in your game, and you know, it's going to be much more noticeable. So there's a lot of pressure on him in that regard, but there's also a little bit of a safety net because the guys around him have played so well. Stanley Morgan had a couple diving catches in the first practice. And he heard that the Bengals don't have a number four receiver. So, you know, word gets to these players. They're not blind to the media and social media. And everyone's been saying, oh, if the top three go down, we don't have anybody. 
and he's taken that to heart, and he's stepping up his game as a receiver. We know his special teams contributions, so hopefully he continues on that path, and we have ourselves a number four receiver there. That'd be great. Eli Apple got some attention by making a nice play on a hitch to chase, and McPherson was six for six in the first practice. Second practice, Hayden Hurst makes a nice extension catch. He also had a block on Hendrickson on a bomb to chase, so he was showing up early in practices as well. Von Bell had a pick six where he said he just read his keys and was in the right place at the right time, just being a smart, savvy veteran, and that goes well with your leadership. You know, if you want to be a leader and you're making big plays like that, guys are going to listen to you even more. Joe Mixon announced that he wants to break the Bengals' individual rushing record for a season. Those are good goals. Obviously, the biggest goal is to win the AFC Championship and then the Super Bowl, but you're allowed to have individual goals on top of that, and I respect him for that. And in the second day of practice, they had Deontay Smith and Cordell Volson in there for Kappa and Collins. Puka Williams had a couple nice catches, so he's fully aware that the Bengals are in the market for a number four, number five wide receiver, and he's stepping up his game, so that's nice to see. And you had Eli Apple on Chase again. That seems to be like a daily news report. But Apple got beat deep by Chase, and then he actually defended Chase on another deep ball. And when they showed everything on social media, you really just saw him getting beat by Chase, and they didn't give attention to him actually defending one. It's like they say, you know, when they when they print the incorrect story, it's on the front page. And when they print the retraction correcting the incorrect story, it's usually on page 16 buried somewhere. So that's the case here. You know, that's the narrative. They want, to, they want you to know that Apple got beat, but they don't want you to know when Apple does well. You know, that's how it is. Some people just have it out for them because of the Super Bowl. And as I've been well documented in saying, there's not a lot of DBs that would have been able to defend those routes in, in that circumstance. And he had a great year, and he had a great playoffs for us. Day three practice, Dax Hill was playing some solid center field and showing some good range. Brandon Allen said there was one particular play where he thought he had someone, he was going to float it in there, and Hill got over there in a hurry. He had to zip it in there, so that's good that he's showing that much range. That's kind of Jesse Bates' range, and if Jesse's going to sit out or if anything bad happens there, at least we have a guy with the range. It's just a matter of him getting to know the NFL game more, and that's going to happen. And then a little bit disturbing news from practice. Trey Hendrickson beat Jonah twice. He beat him going inside and outside for sacks. And on the one side, you're saying, all right, Trey Hendrickson, excellent. Glad to see you're back to what you're doing last year. On the other side, you're saying, Jonah, you let up two sacks in one practice. You know, like like I said, Willie Anderson, what, 13 sacks in 11 years, you know? I, it's not a fair comparison, but it's just like you, you can't just let up. Like, if you're an offensive lineman, if you let up a sack a game, that's 16 sacks, that's a horrible year. And that's crazy. It could just be a mental lapse one or two times here or there, but it can really damage the game and damage your reputation. And so it's early, you know, we're talking training camp reps, but he did get beat twice and he got beat by one of the best pass rushers in the game. But keep in mind, you're going to see Miles Garrett over him. You're going to see TJ Watt flipping sides. You're going to see a lot of good edge rushers that he's going to face. So I'm glad he's facing Hendrickson. That's going to be good practice for him. But we just can't have these, oh, you know, he let up a sack today. You know, he's still playing great, but he let up a sack. It just can't be that all year long. It just can't. Mike Thomas, who's my favorite to be the number four wide receiver at this point, made a big play on an out-and-go. He beat Hilton, 
And then at the end of the route, he got his foot stepped on by Hilton, and it looked really bad. They thought it might have been an Achilles, and then he was back practicing the next day. So glad to see that he came back quickly from it. Puka Williams, after a great practice, too, has some kind of tweak on day three, so hoping that he gets back in action. He's going to need as many reps as he can to prove that he deserves to be on the final 53. Stanley Morgan had a TD catch in day three, which was nice. Jeffrey Gunter had a little bit of an ankle injury. Another one, like Mike Thomas, it looked really bad. They ended practice. They didn't even have McPherson do any kicks because it was kind of like a a dark cloud when he went down, when Gunter went down. But it looks like he's okay because he was out there practicing the next day too. So that's the old – I mean, it's a different sport. When guys go down in football, it's legit. But you see in basketball – Sometimes these guys go down, and I'm watching a game, and the guy's on the ground looking like his career is over. And I, you know, I turn to my girl, and I'm like, watch, he's going to get up, and he's going to continue to play. He's going to be fine. And that's what happens most of the time with the basketball players. Football players, different story. These injuries are much more significant. But we were lucky in this case that Thomas and Gunter had what I'm going to call basketball injuries, and they're back in action and back fighting for the roster spots. And Javon Hiley beat Cameron Taylor-Britt for a touchdown. So on one end, that's good to see the undrafted make a big play. On the other end, it's not good to see your second-round corner get beat by an undrafted. But these are all pros. Anyone can beat anyone on any given day. I haven't heard much on Cam Taylor-Britt as far as how well he's been practicing. And I'm hoping this was just one bad play and he's been doing well otherwise. I haven't seen anything more on that. I'll keep you posted because you know I'll be following. Practice day four was back together day, and there was 28,000 in attendance. And they were, they were making jokes that that's like more than the Reds would draw for like two games. So you can see the changing of the guard in Cincinnati on who's their favorite team, and you know I love that. They had Joe Mixon riling up the crowd at the beginning of back together day, which was good. You know, getting on the mic and, get, and leading a Who Day chant and getting everyone psyched, that's always fun and exciting, especially everyone coming out just to watch a practice and you know, just having this energy and emotion behind it and showing gratefulness to the fans. And Evan McPherson hits a 65-yarder. If you're on social media, you've seen footage of it. Some say it might have been good from 70. So just amazing. He's going he's gonna to contend for that 66-yard record in the very near future. I'm hoping that it's this year because Tucker's one of the enemies and you want to see our guy have it. But, man, it's the arrow just keeps pointing up for Evan McPherson. And he's talking... In the old days, you know, when you, when you had your Randy Bullocks and your aging Nugents and, you, you know, go on, Shane Grahams, however, you, however far back you want to go with the kickers, we were hesitant to try anything over 55 yards. Even, like, like a 58-yarder to win the game was a real coin toss. And now your new kicker, he's saying on a good, clear outdoor day, he's comfortable trying a 65 to a 68-yarder. An indoor 65, 66-yarder? And he said even into the wind, he wouldn't feel weird about trying a 62-yarder. I mean, that's just incredible. Because if if you can get to the logo, the midfield logo, and know that your field goal kicker has a shot at making a field goal, that is tough to contend with. And that's what we dealt with with Tucker. You know, you're you're in a close game with the Ravens, and you're like, man, don't let them get two first downs because this guy will kick a field goal from 60 And we're getting that same weapon groomed here in Cincinnati, which is going to end up winning a ton of games, and it's going to be a big threat, and it's going to get defenses playing playing us differently. It's it's just a positive on every front. 
And to boot, he was 7-for-8 McPherson on day four kicking. And according to my records, I think he's missed one kick so far. It was a 45-yarder off the right upright. After he missed it, Mike Hilton was getting on him, and he's like, well, I'm not going to miss two in a row. And he proceeded to make all the rest of his field goals. So it's good. It doesn't get in his head. He's got that Joe Burrow coolness. And look out for Evan McPherson this year and way beyond. Joe Mixon made a great one-handed catch down the sideline. I don't know if you've seen it on social media, but it was a really nice catch. Trey Flowers, a long DB covering him, and Mixon just kind of reaches up and pulls it in, and he's like, that's what I do. So, excellent to see. We all know he's an underrated receiver out of the backfield, and this play was evidence of that. And then I guess a disturbing note from this practice, and this is for the backups. This is for... If Joe Burrow goes down, I'm very, very worried about our playoff chances. They had Brandon Allen and Jake Browning. They took 15 snaps inside the 10-yard line. They were in a 7-on-7 drill. In 15 snaps, they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. Great for the defense. Definitely respectable on that end. and, And actually incredible to stop a team 15 times like that. But man... You'd like to think they could have punched one in. I don't know who the receivers were. It almost doesn't matter. It's almost like just one good corner route or just one really effective slant or just deception where the inside receiver doesn't out and the other guy's clear for him. Just anything. You'd like to think they could have pulled off a couple out of the 15. Unfortunately, they didn't. And that makes me cling to Joe Burrow even more and say, Joe, please stay healthy because I don't know what we're going to do if he goes down. And then day five, you had the Delonte Hood interception. That's great for a, a really try-hard player trying to make the team an underdog, someone that you root for. Remember, he's got 4-3 speed, so it was good that he showed up and made a big play. And all the veterans came on the field and swarmed him. So that shows a team. It wasn't just people just weren't laissez-faire. All right, practice over. Hey, good job on the interception. Like, they were really going crazy for him. And that's that unity that you seek out of a team. And maybe that's a motivating factor for Delonte Hood to really be a stepping stone into making this roster. And speaking of undrafteds, Kendrick Pryor, the fastest of all the wide receivers that we took that were undrafted, he had two touchdowns on the day as well. So it was nice to see him have a breakout day. Again, it was against backups, but still maybe this is the spark that he needs to get everything going and have a monster camp and be able to be a contributing wide receiver to this team. Evan McPherson was 6-for-6 six six on this day, and Joseph Osai came back for about five snaps. And then Tuesday marks the first padded practice, and next episode I'll start updating you on those practices as well as preparation for the game against the Cardinals. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing great. It's been a long time, Frank. How are you doing? All right, my friend. I know this is the first time that we really talked since we hung out in Cincinnati. All right, so let's move on to some business. What do you think about everything that's going on preseason, training camp-wise for the Bengals? Like, what's your general thoughts on everything to this point? You know, they seem like that they are ready to make a statement to the entire NFL that last year was not a fluke that last year was just the start of something special, and they're ready to make the trip back to the Super Bowl and actually finish the job. I'm hearing a lot of great things in training camp alone. I just can't wait to see what the regular season unfolds and how that plays out because I think 
spoiler alert for future episodes, I think that this Bengals team is going to be one of the first or second best teams in the entire conference. 100% agreed. I, I'm I'm feeling that they're going to be either one, two, or three, and let's hope for number one. Oh, most definitely. I, I really think that this is really the time where we thought 2015 and 2005 and old Bengals teams were special. We also thought 2021 was special as well, too. But 2022, it's just getting started. It's going to happen. Yeah, and Justin, when we were talking prior to you coming on the air, you had an interesting take on a couple different players. I wanted you to share, if you could, your Jamar Chase impressions and takes up to this point. You remember during the preseason of last year, everybody was talking about the preseason drops and the training camp drops and how we probably should have went with Panay Sewell over Jamar Chase in the draft. I was obviously on Team Chase during the time, and I still, to this day, will always continue to be on Team Chase. But this year, this training camp, there's none of that. He has catched every pass in practice. He has really taken it to all of the DBs and training camp. You know, iron sharpens iron, and Jamar Chase is literally that guy. And it really makes me feel good that he's becoming a leader on a receiving core right before our very own eyes. And it's fun to watch. It's fun to hear him in the interviews. And, you know, he did the GQ magazine shot. He has a little bit of flair and pizzazz to the, uh, to the organization, to the team. And he brings a lot of fun and just great dynamic just in personality alone. I totally agree. I mean, not only is he a great player, but he brings a lot of excitement to the organization. What about what you've been hearing about Hayden Hurst as far as how he's been practicing so far? Hayden Hurst is going to go down as my favorite addition of the 2022 offseason. It was an upgrade over C.J. Uzama. No disrespect to C.J. Uzama. I loved his energy and enthusiasm that he brought to the team last season and the last seven seasons that he was prior But Hayden Hurst, this this guy is coming in with a chip on his shoulder. He was a first-round pick. And he hadn't had a chance to really prove himself and establish himself. Well, he's getting an opportunity here with Cincinnati. He is literally living up to the expectation when we signed him. It's a one-year deal, but I reckon that once this year is over with, he is going to sign a multi-year contract extension. I I can't wait to see him play on the field. It's exciting to have like a true pass-catching tight end. And, you know, Uzama had an element of that, but really not over the top. And it looks like Hurst has a, a much higher ceiling now let's go back to another player who I know we've talked about in the past and we both expressed opinions on, but how are you feeling about everything that's going on with Jesse Bates? You know, prior to all of that, I was really bummed out because the Bengals didn't, wasn't able to get a deal done, and I'm not going to necessarily blame either side of the coin here because, you know, sometimes these things just happen. But recently I started feeling really good based off of recent things that I've heard about him reaching out to our first-round draft pick and Dax Hill. That makes me feel really good about where we're at with Jesse Bates. It shows that he's still connected to this team. He's still committed to making the team better, even though he's not necessarily present in training camp, dealing with his own situations and financial circumstances there. I am definitely hoping that things do work out in the end. But at the end of the day, if this is going to be his last season with the Bengals, you know, he's going to go out strong and go out hitting hard. And, you know, some of the team is going to be incredibly happy to sign him. I hope it doesn't necessarily come to that. I still have this small sliver of hope that the Bengals are going to somehow, some way get a contract extension done. You know, that's just the delusional fan in me. But at the end of the day, I love Jesse. I will always respect him and respect his decision. You know, he has the right to go and chase the bag, you know, per se. 
And it showed that he doesn't just want to just chase the back. He wants to be a part of this Bengals team. He was a homegrown talent. And, you know, he's always going to be a leader in my eyes. I was on a show recently where we did a roundtable with a bunch of AFC North fans. So it was me and a Ravens guy and a Steelers guy and a Browns guy. And the Ravens guy kept going back to, well, the Bengals aren't going to sneak up on anybody this year. You know, everyone knows what's coming now. Like, what are your thoughts on a take like that? How would you respond to something like that? It's the same thing I tell everybody in the national media. It's a lazy narrative. We didn't sneak up on anybody last year. Last year, Joe Burrow was playing great football towards the tail end of the season. We didn't sneak up on him when Kansas City was playing us the first time. And when we went into the playoffs, people really knew that we were a team to be reckoned with and the force to be reckoned with. Now, I get it. They look at us as a Cinderella story that just happened to get hot at the right time. You hear the the, uh, comparison of, was this a great team or a great run? And my answer to that question, it was both. This team had to figure themselves out early on in the season and midway through the season, and they finally been able to encapsulate how great this team really is. And then they showcased it all the way to the Super Bowl, even with the deficiencies that they had on this team. So to that being said, I don't pay attention to those lazy narratives like that's like what your Ravens guy said. And come to find out, a lot of Baltimore Ravens fans are just playing butthurt because of the Bengals mollywhopping them twice last year. <laughs> and so they're coming off with a little bit of salty feelings because they couldn't beat our team after really owning us the last five to five games prior. You know what? <laughs> Excellent takes on that, and I totally agree with you. Um, what do you? How are you feeling about the whole Pittsburgh narrative with the new quarterback and the battle there? The whole Browns thing with with the Deshaun Watson. I don't want to get into too much of the off the field stuff, but what are your thoughts on on both of those rivals? I'll, I'll start with Pittsburgh first. They're an interesting spot. Obviously, the quarterback position is really centered upon everybody's mind of how they're going to play out with Mitch Trubisky and obviously the rookie Kenny Pickett. To be perfectly honest, I don't really worry about Pittsburgh with a quarterback position just because I think their organization was always built on strong fundamental defense, and that's where the history on itself that organization was led through. And I think they're going to be able to go through their grassroots from there. Uh, T.J. Watt is still the leader. He's still the reigning defensive player of the year. And it just seems like that that Pittsburgh Steelers team is going to find some way to win games, whether they're having a rookie quarterback or a journeyman quarterback now at this point in Mitch Trubisky's career. So I'm not necessarily worried and focused too much on that like a lot of people are. I think they'll be a solid team. You know, maybe 9-8, maybe miss the playoffs. Like, I'm not really convinced that this team is going to finish at the bottom of the AFC North. They haven't done it. I don't. I, I can't even remember the last time they finished last place in the AFC North. And when we pivot to the Cleveland Browns, this is too much dysfunction going on there. You know, obviously with Deshaun Watson, and we, as we now know, a recent six-game suspension has been thrown on his, his plate, which – that's very controversial in and of it itself, you know, very frustrating. But even in, in spite of just that, they just have so much dysfunction going on with that organization that I'm not willing to buy into them as a team that a, they're, they're going to win a ton of games in 2022 just because of the off-the-field issues and the behind-the-scenes issue that's been going on with the organization from the top down. Now, are they... Do they have great personnel and talent? Absolutely. You can never go wrong with how the Cleveland Browns are built. They have a top five quarterback, well, 
potential top five quarterback in Watson. They have a top three edge rusher in that of Miles Garrett. They have a shutdown corner like a Denzel Ward. They have one of the better O-linemen and the better O-lines in all of football. They have talent ranging all across the roster up and down. But just something just tells me that the Cleveland Browns are going to find a way, just like old Cleveland Browns teams in years past, it's just to molly wop it up. And I'm not saying that as a hater and as the, uh, of my division rivals. I'm just saying that based off of the eye test of what I've seen from this organization for the last 20 years, but more specifically, even last year. This last year, they were supposed to be one of the teams to beat into the AFC after 2020, that they won a first playoff game in 18 years prior. 2021 was supposed to be the Browns' year. I get it. Injuries happened to their quarterback. But at the end of the day, they had a well-constructed roster to the point where they should have been able to make the playoffs. But they didn't. And that's because the Cleveland Browns continued to get in their own way. So that's where my outlook is on the entire AFC North. There's still a very talented division up and down. Anyone can win this division at any given moment, per se. But if I were to make the ultimate choice of who comes out on top – I'm going to be biased and say it is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals. So what happens if two of the new free agent signings don't work out? Let's say Kappa has injury problems all year and Collins can't get on the field and they're going to roll out a similar offensive line on that side to last year. What? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that from inside? How do you motivate your team? How do you keep the fan base believing like, if everything goes sour with those two new pickups, which I, I hope it doesn't, I don't think it will, but if it went that direction, what would be Justin Lacey's words of wisdom regarding that? Well, next man up is the obvious term that I'm going to pretty much preach to the team if I'm speaking internally in the locker room. They know what they have to do. They all prepare the same way. We signed these guys for a reason because let's just keep it honest tell the team that the reason why we signed these guys is because last year our offensive line stunk and prior to that they were bad for the last five years. That's why we got these guys like Alice Kappa, Lyle Collins, and you know, Ted Kares and we've invested a number of draft picks in there. But let's say that the, the free agent signings don't end up handing out or they happen to go down with injuries. Well, then guess what? We've invested enough resources and draft capital to where guys are going to have to step up and showcase themselves up. Otherwise, you will not be on this team anymore. You know, it's just simply put, we want to get back to the Super Bowl and finish the job. We want to win multiple Super Bowls and finish the job. And as we clearly saw, we can't do that if poor offensive line play is going to hinder our success. Now, speaking outside of it to the fan base when it comes to the, if the offensive line doesn't pan out this year like we all believe it will be. Understand that the national media is still going to throw out there that narrative that they can't get the O-line right. The Bengals are going to get Joe Burrow killed. He's taking way too many sacks. You're going to hear all of that. My advice to you on that is just ignore it. Ignore it the best you possibly can and just still stand with this team. They make the investments. If you are smart enough to understand that the Bengals has spent money on the investment side of with that offensive line and it went nationally, I couldn't stop looking on every single talk show, whether if it was Fox Sports 1 or ESPN, when they talked about the Bengals, they were really giving kudos to them signing all of these guys. And if it happens to be that they just happen to go down with some injuries here and there, you would think that that was probably going to be understood that, hey, at least we've made an attempt. 
You know, we couldn't say that about that in a couple years past, even though they have made a few signings here and there. But the Bobby Hart's of the world and the Xavier Suofilos of the world, those wasn't going to give you enough national recognition that you were going out to make full investments. Signing Galeo Collins from the Dallas Cowboys, who made Pro Bowls, and you were able to get him after a roster cut from the Dallas Cowboys, and you were able to bring him onto your team, making those kind of investments is going to bring notoriety to the media, and they're going to see that. So if it doesn't work out, at least you can say, we tried. We make we made efforts. Now what you also hope is for that the Bengals don't give up and continue making those efforts. So you're basically saying if, it, if for some reason it doesn't pan out with these guys, you want to see them carry that same aggressive mentality into free agency in the future. Correct. They have to. It's just because it, it, free agency works just like the draft. It's always a crapshoot no matter what. They just happen to have more proven – they just have more of a proven track record because they played in the league. But we've seen it with every team around the league. You can sign a high-priced free agent pickup on your team and it not work out. It can happen at any given moment. You just got to continue to build upon the aggression and not let it damper your success just because – one signing did not go accordingly to your plan, and now you want to give up. I don't think this Bengals team is built like that. I think this organization in this front office, this coaching staff, is hindered that they got to do whatever it takes to win, and they got to do whatever it takes to keep the culture in place. We saw that with Trey Waynes. Remember, Trey Waynes was getting paid $14 million a year on average, and he didn't work out. I think he only played, what, two games on average with us during the two years that he was here? It didn't work out, but did that stop the Bengals from investing in more draft capital on the defensive side of the ball? No. It also didn't stop them from being able to sign guys like Chidobe Awuzie and Mike Hilton. They kept going after because they understand they got to make sure that they keep investing in this team and the in the, the culture of this team. And I think they will continue to do that even if these guys do not pan out. Justin, you've been doing a lot of damage on Twitter. Can you tell everyone how to find you on social media? You can find me at Juddy, J-U-T-T-Y underscore 13, or you can just simply just search at Justin Lacey on Twitter. Hobson's Choice Questions. All right, so one of my favorite segments to do on the Unofficial Bengals podcast is to review the Hobson's Choice Questions that were submitted to Bengals.com. And as I've spoken about before, the rules of this are I have not seen the questions ahead of time. So even though I love the column, I always savor it and wait till I do this segment because I want my answers to be organic, off the cuff, and first thing that comes to my mind. So without further ado, here are the Hobson's Choice questions. Question number one. Curious about Carmen versus Volson and your observations. Hearing Carmen looks far better than last year, and what about the fourth wide receiver? I like Taylor and Stanley, but I'm curious about the rookies and Puka. Okay, so Carmen versus Volson, we don't know how that's going to play out right now, but from what Coach Pollock has said, Carmen's having a great camp, and he looks like the favorite to win that starting job, and it looks like Volson's going to be the first guy off the bench. Now, things can change once the preseason games start. You know, if you see Carmen let up a few sacks and you see Volson be basically bulletproof, maybe that'll change. But as of right now, as a betting man, I would say that Carmen is going to win that starting position, and Volson will be the number six offensive lineman. And fourth wide receiver, yeah, Trent Taylor is someone to consider for that. 
It looks like Stanley Morgan is stepping up too. But truthfully, my opinion on the favor for that is going to be Mike Thomas. I think you're looking at Mike Thomas being the four. And then I think you're looking at Irwin and Taylor fighting for the five. And then I think Morgan is still going to be the six. And then you're going to be looking at the undrafteds and Puka battling for that seventh spot. Just my opinion. I wish them all luck. I want the best players to be out there. But yes, my favorite right now. And by favorite, I'm just saying like the odds-on favorite. Not that I'm favoring anyone over anyone. But I think Mike Thomas is your number four wide receiver going into the 2022 season. All right, question two. People are acting like Cordell Volson is the only other option at left guard. What about Deontay Smith? Why is he not mentioned as a candidate for left guard? Seems better built to play guard than Volson. Is there an issue with what he did this offseason? I don't think either one has the edge over the other right now. It's still too early, and Coach Pollock is rotating those guys in. And if you look at it, maybe we're hearing more about Volson because like, he's like the shiny new toy that was just drafted. You know, he's a mystery. There's high hopes for him. But if you look at who we drafted last year on the offensive line with Hill, Jackson Carmen, and Deontay Smith, I still feel that Deontay Smith had the best season out of all of them. So look for him to compete at the guard positions. Look for him to compete as a backup tackle as well. And look for him to compete as the sixth guy off the bench too. Because it's looking like the offensive line is going to be Williams, Carmen, Karras, Kappa, Collins. That's probably what we're going to have. And then you're going to have a fight to see who's going to possibly take Carmen's job or play for the sixth offensive lineman. And I, I would assume they're a little down on Isaiah Prince and Adenogy based on the performances in the postseason and Super Bowl. So it's looking like Volson and Smith may be the front runners there. I don't have a preference yet because I haven't seen enough of Volson. That'll all unfold as these preseason games go, and we'll find out you know who the next man up is out of those two. Next question. As a lifelong Bengal fan and season ticket holder, I first want to say how much I like the white tiger look. The Bengals have announced it will be worn on Thursday, 929. Will they potentially wear it for more games in 2022? And what are your thoughts and expectations for the battle for touches and roll between Pirine and Evans? Will Evans break out? All right, there's a lot of unrelated questions in there, but yes, I love the white look. We know they're going to have it on for that Thursday night game against the Dolphins. I'm sure we'll see it another time during the season. I don't know the uniform schedule, but I don't think it's just going to be isolated to one game. And then as far as Pirine and Evans, I think that Evans is going to get more third down touches. They have Pirine right now as the number two, but I think as the season goes on, Evans' role is going to expand. And you're going to see Pirine be more of a backup for Mixon and Evans be more of the featured third down back. That's my prediction. You know, Evans is a great receiver, and hopefully that gets utilized this year. And what better opportunity than to use that on third downs? And Pirine is that straight-ahead, run-through-a-brick-wall runner. So on first and second down, if you want to spell Mixon, it looks like he's the answer for that. So I don't know. I, I guess the big thing is they're competing against each other, but it almost feels like they're playing two different positions. You know how defensive tackle... A one technique is like a nose, and a three is more of like a pass-rushing DT, right? Even though they're both defensive tackles. I think the same applies to running backs in this situation. You know, one is like a a bell cow type, which is how I'll paraphrase it, and the other is more of a third down type. So I think they have two totally different roles, and they're not necessarily going to be competing against each other for snaps. I think they're both going to have their roles defined in this system. Next question. 
Do you think there's a chance the team goes all in on white Bengal by changing the field logo and end zones to white tiger colors too? How cool would that look? It's a good thought. It's a fun thought. Maybe they do it for a color rush game or something like that. But remember, I know the white uniforms are really cool. The helmets are, like I said before, I use this term, the shiny new toy. We're all excited about it. Yes, totally cool look. But remember, the Bengals are black and orange, and I don't want to see the field change from that. Like, I want it to be black and orange. That's our colors. And then the white is just a an extra fringe benefit, special. That's, you know, your your holiday costume or your holiday, you know, your, your fancy clothes to wear to Christmas dinner. But orange and black all the way. Next question. If Jesse Bates returns to the field this year, do you see Dax still being on the field with Bell and Bates in some kind of scenario? 100%. You're seeing a lot of three safety looks, and we did that last year, and it looks like if Bates comes back, our three safety look this year will be even better. So, you know, I think you're going to see Dax Hill covering tight ends. I think they're going to be packages where they're all covering a third of the field. They're definitely going to utilize all of them. It's not just going to be Bates and Bell. And Hill will come in if one of those guys needs a break. No, they're going to use all of them. Obviously, if Bates comes back, he's going to be the main guy back there. And, you know, Bell plays a different position than the other two as well. But you're going to see Dax Hill in packages and in rotations. And he's going to get plenty of action this year. And it's going to be exciting to see. Next question. How did Joe's appendix surgery go? What's he doing to recover? Will he play preseason? Probably best to wait for season to start. Well, it looks like he recovered okay. You know, he's he's back out there. He's not, you know, he's back out there on the car and hanging out with the guys. So it's a matter of time. You can't rush anything back like this. He's going to play in the preseason. I don't know if you're going to see him a bunch in games. Maybe a series in the third preseason game. Maybe a series or two. And even if he never had the appendix surgery, I wouldn't want to see him for too much more than that anyway. Let him get a bunch of practice reps and be ready for week one. Don't risk anything in these preseason games. But yes, we do need Joe to be back to practice at some point, and like I said, maybe a series or two in the entire preseason. Next question. I seem to recall that T was planning on changing his number last season when the singular numbers came out, but decided to stay 85. Yeah, I heard that with Boyd, too. Boyd was going to be number three, and Higgins was going to be number five. I don't know if they changed their mind because you have to buy out all the old jerseys or... You know, they just lost interest in changing their numbers. Maybe they're so identifiable with their current numbers. But it looks like both of them are going to keep the 83 and 85. And personally, I prefer that. Call me old school in that regard, but I don't like the college numbering system. I like the NFL numbering system where you can see a jersey number and you know what position that guy plays right away. Next question. Anthony Munoz has been quoted saying Joe Klecko deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Do you plan to vote for Joe Klecko this year? This was written in from a guy from New Jersey, and I know the love for Joe Klecko in these parts because I am from New Jersey, and I don't have a Hall of Fame vote, although I hope someday I will. I think I should. We all know the truth. That's never going to happen, but I'll still vote from behind the scenes. And with that said, I think Joe Klecko does deserve to go in. Even though he doesn't have any rings, he put up a really good career for the Jets. He was a dominant player, had a ton of production. And I was surprised that he hasn't been in up to this point. So, yeah, he's one of those guys from another team and a rival. You know, I don't like the Jets. You know, the Jets knocked us out of the playoffs a couple times in our history. The Jets have brought me some pain in in my day. Even last season, that painful loss to them. So, 
even though they're my mother's favorite team and they're the local team here, I felt like they've done the Bengals wrong with a few victories over us. So definitely don't root for the Jets. But Joe Klecko, yeah, he deserves to be in the Hall. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a preview of the Bengals-Cardinals preseason game number one. And we're also going to go over some headlines, transactions, and other Bengal news. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.